Welcome to the Like Destiny podcast. So, I'll just do a quick summary of what we were talking about, which is we're going to talk about unbelief, and we're trying to work out a definition of unbelief, and that so far we've got that it's when you don't believe, it's a lack of faith, it's believing in the wrong thing, and we're going to find out exactly what unbelief is. Um, so, uh, there's... Uh, This scripture in Hebrews, and uh, it's talking about the children of Israel. And uh, in Hebrews uh, 3, it says, starting in verse 12, it says, Beware, brethren. So it's, uh, you know, this is a warning. And it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And it's just really interesting. I mean, What's so evil about unbelief? You know, it's quite a strong term, isn't it, to say an evil heart of unbelief? Because in some ways we feel like unbelief is just like something we should be pitied for because it's like, oh, we can't help it. It's just who we are and whatever. But um, there's this this time and then uh, another time in Scripture that I'll show you where unbelief is is referred to as evil. Uh, So, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And... um, a bit higher up, it's talking about the, the children of Israel, and it's quoting Psalm 95. So verse 7 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as in the rebellion in the day of the trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So this was kind of God's um, kind of thing against his people, that they, they were testing him, that they had seen his works, and they'd seen everything that he'd done for 40 years, that they went astray in their heart, and that they didn't know his ways. And um, the consequence of that was that they couldn't enter into rest. And so there's this this kind of warning to us, don't have an evil heart of unbelief because there's something about unbelief that causes you not to enter in. Now, we know that, we know we're in, we know we're part, we know we're, you know, we, we, we know all that and that absolutely stands as true. But we also know that in our lives there is a some degree of, of that kind of, we know this is true but we're not there yet. And what I'm trying to do is answer some of the questions as to why are we not there yet? What, what is it that is hindering us from living in the fullness that actually we know is really ours? Um, so um, a bit further on, it, it says in verse 18, it says, So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. And... Um, I should have got it ready, but uh, let me just have a look in the Amplified. Can anybody look it up? Amplified version. Have you got Bible Gateway or something? Anyway, just says it quite, uh, quite nicely. So that's Hebrews 4.19. Amplified. So this is all referring to this, uh, a number of episodes really. I mean, it's 40 years of unbelief that the Israelites uh, 
experience in the desert. But um, it all kind of came to a head when they'd come to the end of the 40 years, uh, when they'd, well, no, it's, it's before the 40 years. This is a consequence of why they ended up having 40 years in the desert. Four, three, the last verse, 19 or something. So basically the journey from Egypt to Israel is really not very long. And um, what happened is, they, so we're, we're going to Numbers 13. So Numbers 13, um, the Lord spoke to Moses and they, he said, sent men to spy out the land of Canaan. And uh, he, he said, I'm going to give, uh, this is the land that I'm giving to Israel. So that was the word of God. It had always been the word of God. It was the promise to Abraham. It was the promise to Isaac. It was continued to be the promise. So, okay. Uh, okay, so, so we see that they were not able to enter into his rest. So for them, that was the promised land because of unbelief and an unwillingness to trust in God. So an unwillingness to trust in God. Thanks, Richard. Unwillingness to trust in God. So, so, uh, back to Numbers 13. I'm sure you know the story, but just to summarize it. So, there's this deal. Uh, the spies were sent out from each one from each of the tribes of Judah. And they were sent out into the land of Judah. And their mission was to see what it was like. How are the people? Um, what are the cities like? What are the stronghold like? like? What is the land? And so, it says they went in and they spied out the land and Joshua and Caleb were two of the spies that went in along with all the others whom we don't know who the names are right um so it talks about how they went in and then they cut down this massive bunch of grapes and carried it between two poles because it was so big and brought back fruit from the land and um they they came back and they came back to the congregation of Israel and they said to him Verse 27, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And remember, the descendants of Anak were the giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So what they were saying is, yes, the land is good, but there's all this stuff that we're seeing in the land. And 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. So that was Caleb's opinion, uh, and that's what he wanted to do. Caleb had also seen the giants and the strongholds and the cities and everything else, but his opinion was, we, we can do it. Um, I think the reason why his opinion was that is because he knew that's what God had said. He wasn't looking at whether he was strong enough to overcome a giant. He was looking at what had God said and what was the promise of God. So it says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. That is probably true. Okay, they were not a lot. The Israelites were not a lot of people. They'd come out of Egypt with Nothing. They hadn't got chariots. They hadn't got horses. They hadn't got swords and whatever. Um, God had always said to them, your way of fighting is to trust in me. He said 
often to the to the people it was that that their way of fighting was not to have chariots. In fact, they weren't supposed to have horses at all because if they multiplied horses, it would have tempted them to have chariots and fight in their own strength and not in God's strength. So, so it's true. They probably were not were weaker than you know that people in the land, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying. The land through which we had gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, come from the descendants of Anak come from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Um, if, if ever you've, you you won't have seen it, but June Richards has this grasshopper costume. She does this great great talk on being like a grasshopper in your own sight. But I um, have to ask her to bring it if she ever comes. It's wonderful. So so basically, the ten, there were 12 spies. Ten of them said, it's, yeah, the land is good, but there's, it's full of giants. We can't do it. And because of that, the people started complaining again. So they said all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So this is um, chapter 14. So it's like God has already rescued them. He's already done great signs and wonders to get them out of Egypt. He's already provided manna. He's already done, looked after them, done great and mighty miracles. And all the people can always do is cry and complain and, and just think that God is really awful and have this expectation of God that he's really awful. And that's why God said, you saw my works. You saw what I'd done. And yet, even on seeing that, their response was perpetually, God is just out to get us. He's just not going to do what he says he's going to do. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And the reason I'm reading this is this is their evil heart of unbelief. Because it's not, it's not that the circumstances weren't true. The circumstances were absolutely true. The land of Canaan was full of people who were stronger than they were. And the, the only thing that kind of that, that stood against that so-called reality was God and what he'd said. And God had said, I'll take you into the land I'll, I'll, you know, I, it is your land, you'll possess it. And, and he promised that he would fight for them. They wouldn't have to fight for it themselves. But they just couldn't, couldn't grasp that, that all they could see is what they were living in. And even in the miracles, they couldn't see because it, it's almost like every miracle was short-lived. They just, they just kind of had this experience of God. But, but within the next day, they're back to believing that deep down God is just really awful. And God is just really not going to, uh, you know, come through for us. So Moses and Aaron, um, you know, prayed and um, fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation. And then he says, But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. So this is the talk of faith. Um, so 
that this isn't a condition. It's not if the Lord delights in us, he'll give it. He's saying, shut up moaning. You know, stop behaving like this because God has, you know, this is what God is going to do. But the sure thing that is going to stop God doing is us keep on and on like this. He says, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from us, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So that is the voice of faith. And and Caleb and Joshua, they both saw the same thing. They both saw the same, you know, Joshua and Caleb weren't just better fighters. They just knew God, and they just trusted God. And, you know, Joshua was the one who spent his days in the tabernacle of God. He followed Moses and he spent his night sleeping in the tabernacle. He he had spent time just in the presence of God. Now, in those days, that's what he had to do in order to know God. So he, he had known God. So um, the response of the people was they wanted to stone them. So they tried to stone uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb. So that's a response to faith. People who, you know, quite often people who stand up in faith, you know, often get stoned by the rest of the, of the people. And then uh, the glory of God comes down. And uh, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs I have performed among them? So this to me is always really the interesting kind of cry of God's heart. And, and we'll look at a few passages in the New Testament because I think Jesus, that's the one thing that Jesus is like, I just don't get it, guys. You know, I just don't get it. Why? Why are you living in unbelief? And I think for Jesus, it is just such a, it's just not possible for him to be in unbelief. It's just not, it's not an option for him to have unbelief. And I think he marveled at the, our ability to have unbelief. Of course, he's coming from a place of just completely knowing God. And in that place of knowing God and trusting him and everything, he, he cannot, I think he just can't understand unbelief. Not that he doesn't have sympathy with us, but it's like he, Jesus' response to unbelief wasn't, oh, there, there, it's just really awful being a you know, human being. And it's just like, uh, how long is it going to be like this? You know, it's kind of, it's the one time that it seems that Jesus got a really a bit, frustrated and it's over the issue of unbelief and that's what god is saying is it how long you know what i've done i've performed all these wonders how long are they going to reject me and not believe in me and um so then there was a consequence of of their unbelief and um there's this kind of whole bit where moses kind of intercedes for the people and god says he's not gonna you know not going to um, do it anymore, and I don't want to get into that whole kind of kind of stuff of this uh, the intercession of uh, of Moses at this time. But anyway, um, we just skip on a bit, and it says verse twenty two. It says, "Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness." And have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. That means time after time. Okay, it doesn't mean it was ten times that they did it. But So God is slow to, you know, the, it, we, this is not an unreasonable consequence. It was time after time after time after time. It says, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. So basically, there came a point in the life of the Israelites 
they just couldn't enter in. That's not because God hasn't promised. It's not because God changed his mind. It's nothing to do with God. It's just they themselves just got themselves into such a place that they, they, they excluded themselves from the promise of God. Had they believed, they would have entered into their land. The land was theirs. And um, so I think it's quite a lesson. There is a point, and it is the same for us. This is what we're in, okay? It's like, who was saying the other day, I mean, it's like marriage, isn't it? Once you're married, you're married. But you can behave in your marriage in such a way that you don't live in any benefit of the marriage. It doesn't stop you being married, and it doesn't stop all of that promise being true for you. It doesn't stop it all being true. But, but there's, this, there's this thing that we can do that just ourselves... Um, prevents us. We just can't enter in. It's just not, got nothing to do with God. And then it says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. So Caleb and Joshua both entered in to the land. And then, then the consequence of, uh, of that was <laughs> the 10 spies all dropped dead um, and, uh, or whatever happened to them. Um, I don't know if they dropped dead just then. I'm, I'm making it up. They, And then the rest of the people had to stay in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And basically it was for that whole generation. Wait, waiting for that whole generation to, to die because they just couldn't enter in. Um, so let's just read this instead of paraphrasing it. Twenty-six. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. So say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from twenty years old and above, except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore you would make I would make you dwell in, which I swore I would make you dwell in. So actually, it was God's promise of what he would do. It wasn't, it wasn't they had to enter the land. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. For, but as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. Okay, it sounds, it sounds terrible, um, and it was terrible. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days for each of you shall bear the guilt, namely 40 years Okay, so then, um, now the men who Moses spent, sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought that evil report about the land. And that's, I find that really fascinating because what's evil about the report, you know? What, it's true, right? There were giants in the land. The cities were strongholds. There were walls in the cities. It's absolutely true. The people were too strong that they couldn't overcome them naturally. It's true. But God said, it's an evil report. And um, they died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive of the men who went out to spy the land. So it's a really sobering story about unbelief. And, and I don't believe in our context, it's not talking about heaven and hell, right? It's not saying, if you don't believe, if you don't believe, if you don't believe, you're going to go to hell. Okay, it's absolutely not saying that. 
that, that's a separate issue and that is a settled issue because we are new covenant believers. We are one. We are, you know, it's, it's already finished. We're already forgiven. We have the righteousness of God. That The thing that stops you getting into heaven, if, if you want to look at it in such simplistic terms, is just not believing, not using Jesus' righteousness, not trusting in his righteousness. That's it. That's the end of the story as far as I can, I can see. So I don't think we apply this. As it's quite often is done to say, oh, you just go to hell, you know, you don't believe, you go to hell, you don't have faith, you go to hell. Okay, it's not not saying that. But I do think there's lessons to learn because what we want to know is, what is unbelief? What is it that is hindering us from entering into rest? And, um, you know, the only thing that we really have to strive to do in uh, the new covenant is enter into his rest. That's the one thing that we you know, we, we, we're supposed to do. So uh, back to Hebrews, it says, um, we're now in uh, Hebrews 4, it says, there, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his works as God did from his so this rest is a place of ceasing from our words. It's ceasing from our, our own ability to um, do whatever it is we think we have to do to get our righteousness or to get our faith or to receive the promise. The only thing that we have to do is this. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience, which is their thing. So, so this is the deal, right? The deal is... Um, in, in another transla- translation, it says we strive to enter his rest. That's the only thing we have to do in the new covenant. That is the only thing we have to strive to do. And um, what, is, what is his rest? What is that place of rest? And of course, it has to do with something to do with belief, doesn't it? Because it was unbelief that prevented them from entering into rest. We just read that uh, before at the end of... Uh, chapter 3, it says we could see that they couldn't enter in because of unbelief. So our striving to enter into the rest of God has something to do with unbelief. So it's kind of like a clue, isn't it? What is it that is going to keep us out of the rest of God? It's unbelief. And, And the rest of God is... I mean, it's just, it's, it's living in that place of his provision, isn't it? He's going to fight for us. He's going to give us the land. He's going to look after us, protect us, provide us. It's, it's, it's salvation. It's that place that actually we want to be. We want to be in that place where we're receiving healing from him. We're receiving peace from him, fullness from him, provision from him. We, you know, knowing the security of our forgiveness of sin and, and all of those things, that's, that's actually what we want to do. We really love to live in that place uh, of his, you know, of his, that manifest sense of his presence and all his goodness and, and everything. I mean, that's what I want to live in. Yeah. I absolutely hate living outside of that place. I know I can't be separated from him, but honestly, there's days when I live outside of that place uh, where this kind of soul man of me you know, the spirit part of me is, is forever connected, but the soul part of me can, you know, wander off and get into all sorts of thinking and emotions and, and stuff. And um, that doesn't mean I'm not saved. It just means that I'm not in, completely in his rest. And the problem for us is, is 
in that place, the reason we're in that place is somehow unbelief has somehow got a hold of us somewhere. And um, unbelief is the one thing that prevents us seeing the things that we want to see. Um, and and if, we, if we go back again um, to where we were talking a little bit about last time, the only thing that Jesus really seemed to kind of admonish his disciples for and the people, and the only thing that bewildered him was unbelief. And, and he kept saying, you know, well, let's look at the, let's look at the verses, There's, um, a few verses, let's see them. So we were talking about this last time, um, Matthew 13. And the reason I'm talking about this, because it is, it is related to healing, is because quite often people will say, why don't we see so much healing? Why don't we see people healed? Why don't, you know, why not? Why don't we see everybody? And, you know, it's a complex question. And it's a complex answer. But honestly, if you want me to tell you what the most simple answer is, the answer is, it's unbelief. And, and we don't like that in some ways because we think, I, I believe, I believe. And, and the fact of the matter is, we, we do believe. But we can also have unbelief. And, and I think it's better that we realize what unbelief is so that we can kind of have this warning sign in us that says, you know, and to be honest, I think there will be times for all of us that we have unbelief. It's that, to me, is the good fight of faith. That's what Phil was talking about yesterday. That is the battle, the spiritual warfare that we're in. It's remaining in in his rest. That is our battle. We're here. We've got victory. We've won. We, we've got everything we need. And, and our spiritual battle is to remain, to stay. But what happens is, you know, we see something. And, you know, before long, our mind or our heart, our emotion, our experience kind of draws us away from that place and we find ourselves in a state of panic or fear or 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 whatever else it is and we kind of sympathize with ourselves and say oh there there is awful being a human being but god says it's unbelief guys stop it and and it seems a bit hard and we know god loves us and he does love us but he doesn't love us to remain in unbelief because it, it, it destroys us, and it, it's just horrible. So Matthew 13 is the bit where, remember, we, we were trying to find it at the end of la, the last session uh, about Jesus was in his hometown. And um, is it? I forgot the right one. Okay, yeah. So Jesus was in his hometown, a time of Nazareth, and it says in uh, 53... Matthew 13, verse 53. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there, and he came to his own country. He taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they're they're kind of saying... um, this is just that kid down the street. It's the carpenter's son, you know. Uh, and then he says, so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Basically, it just they just thought it was the carpenter's kid. They'd seen him grow up and they, they just couldn't believe there was anything other than that. 
And then it says, and now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So that's what he says. He says, because of their unbelief. That's just why I say the reason that we don't see it is because of our unbelief. And um, Mark 6, the same account, it says, he could, could not do many mighty works there apart from, because of their unbelief, except he healed a few of the sick. Which I always think is quite encouraging because I think, well, at least we can heal a few sick, even if people have got unbelief. <coughs> I mean, I'm quite happy to heal a few sick, to be honest. Um, it gives us hope, you know. We, you know, even in unbelief, we can still heal some of the sick. So that's that's wonderful. So it's because of their unbelief. Okay, there's this um, there's this story that um, that we know quite well as well. Again, in Matthew. Uh, I remember there was this, um, Peter, James, and John had gone up the mountain of transfiguration. They'd had this really glorious time up the mountain. Meanwhile, the remaining disciples were dealing with the multitudes, and um, they were uh, healing the sick and casting out demons. And um, this man brought this epileptic son to the disciples, and the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. And uh, Jesus and the three disciples came down from the mountain. And um, it says here, so this is Matthew 17, 14. And it said, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now, Jesus' response is really interesting because Jesus doesn't kind of say, oh, yeah, well, I'm the main man and it's not surprising that those dudes couldn't do it. You know, it's like, he's not saying that. He says, Jesus answered, oh, faithless and perverse generation. It's really interesting. It's just like, I just feel like Jesus is like, what's wrong with these guys? You know, it's just like, he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. So Jesus is not, is not kind of having a sympathy which says, oh, yeah, they're just junior, you know, they're just junior disciples. It's like, for Jesus, it's not a problem for his disciples to heal the sick. They, they should have no problem. It's not that they didn't get enough faith or didn't get enough power or whatever. Um, and, and he says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And I don't, I mean, I don't think Jesus is angry or whatever. I just think there's this complete inability of Jesus to comprehend what it is to have unbelief. Because he knows his father. And he's lived in this eternity of of knowing what it is in the Godhead. And just knowing God is who he says he is. and um, And not ever having to live in a place of fear or doubt or whatever. So I don't think Jesus is like angry and mad. I just think he's just like beyond him. It's just beyond him why we would waste any time in unbelief because because he just knows that that is not really a necessary part of life. So Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said to him, why could we not cast it out? I mean, I would love to ask Jesus that question loads of times. You know, why? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. That was his answer. 
So he didn't say, oh, this demon's, you know, a particular principality and power and you didn't fast enough or you didn't do this enough or you didn't do that enough or it's only, you know, he just didn't say any of that. He just said, it's because of your unbelief. Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, that is, that, that is not saying you don't have enough faith. What, is this, what, what Jesus is saying is, you've got faith. You already have faith. We talked about that before. You, you only need a mustard seed of faith. You only need a tiny little bit of faith. And even a tiny bit of faith is enough to say to a mountain, you know, move from here to there. And not sure, Phil, if you were here when we were talking or other, other people have said it as well. You know, the faith that we have is the faith of Jesus. It's not a faith we work up. It, in order to, if Ephesians 2 says we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast, which means the faith that we receive have to receive the grace of God is not it's not of our own it's not it's not something that we work up faith to believe it's a gift of God so God gives us faith and that faith is what we use to receive the grace of God and Romans 10 tells us that everyone has received a measure of faith so we've all received the measure of faith we need to believe so it's not that some have received a minute bit of faith and some have received a massive amount of faith it's we've all received the measure of faith that we need. And that measure of faith is God's faith. It's, it's the faith, his faith that he gives us. So I don't think Jesus here is saying, you know, well, problem is, guys, your faith is only half a mustard seed and you needed a mustard seed. He's just saying faith is not the issue. Faith is not, not the issue. It's unbelief that is the issue. And then there's this confusing little verse which says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And, and there's been this whole kind of theology made on this that says you have to pray and fast before you cast out a demon. Um, now, I, I would say there is some relationship with prayer and fasting and this issue, but it's not because demons will only listen to the name of Jesus if you have fasted and prayed. That's ridiculous. Does that mean the power of the name of Jesus only works if you fasted and prayed? I mean, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. This is the power of the name of the God who has already defeated every demon. And, and, and we're trying to suggest that his name doesn't work because we had our dinner. I mean, it just doesn't make sense, does it? So I don't think this is saying, however, this kind does not go out except by praying and fasting. Jesus didn't go and pray and fast and come back and deliver the demon, right? Uh, he, he he delivered the boy from the deep man. So I think what that means is it's the unbelief that doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. So what he's saying is, is one of the ways of dealing with unbelief is by prayer and fasting. That's what I, that's the only thing I can understand it to mean because it doesn't make sense any other way. Um, I mean, what happens, what about the love and compassion of God? I mean, what if you're walking down the street and see somebody demon-possessed who needs you to think God is going to say, uh, sorry, um, come back in, you know, three weeks' time, I'm going to do a 21-day fast. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right? That's not how God operates. He gave us power, and the power is in his name, and it's not because we ate that his name doesn't work. It's our unbelief that his name doesn't work. 
And, and that's hard to work out. But th- there is obviously this entity of unbelief that prevents us from seeing the reality of what is actually already ours. And that's what Jesus says. That's not what I say. It's here. Because of your unbelief. It's in the Bible and it's in red. So that means it's really true. Okay. (laughs) Okay. um, Mark 6. Mark. Yeah, this Mark 6, um, again, uh, is, the, is the account of Jesus in his hometown. And it says, Now he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And then it says, And he marveled because of their unbelief. So Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. He's like, it's incredible. Marvel is, couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's the wrong thing, isn't it? Uh, what's the word marvel? Like when you marvel at something, you're like, Amazed at it. Really? So he mar- it's like, it, it's just, I think it was just something that. So that was Jesus' response to unbelief. It wasn't, oh, poor old you. It must be awful being like you. You know, he, he just like. Come on, guys, this is not, this is not who you are. Um, okay, it gets worse than that. Mark 16. <laughs> Remember, there was this whole issue. Jesus, if you, read the, if you read the Gospels, Jesus kept saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. He said it at least three times as recorded in the thing. And um, so he said it. He said, I will raise up on the third day. Um, so... You know what happened? There was all this confusion when Jesus was arrested and died, uh, was crucified, and, and the disciples just absolutely lost it. They, they, they were not in faith. They were not kind of waiting there, waiting on the third day, kind of in a celebration meeting, thinking he's going to come. They'd just completely given up. They they'd kind of were in despair. And um, then Jesus rise, raises from the dead, and... Uh, Thomas doesn't believe it because he wasn't there. So even though they're saying he doesn't believe it. So there's this whole thing of unbelief. And um, Mark 16, the last chapter of Mark, Jesus appears to his disciples just before he kind of goes back up into heaven. It says, after that, he appeared in another form to to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. So that, that was just the state. They... They didn't believe. God had said, but they didn't believe. Later, he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. And what comes next is quite interesting because it says, he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So this is God's response. This is Jesus' response to unbelief. He rebukes it. He doesn't say, oh, poor things. He doesn't say, it's just going to be tough for you guys. It's just like, no. You, you cannot do this. This is not the way to live. He rebuked it. And that's just what he's doing before he then goes up to heaven. And then um, there's this other kind of uh, aspect of um, Jesus. So um, Jesus, this is the episode where 
the synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue has come and asked him to heal his daughter who's about to die. And um, as he's on the road, the woman with the issue of blood came and delayed him and she got healed. And so this is Mark 5 verse 35. It says, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And I love this little verse. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And, and I just see this great compassion of Jesus because he kind of sees the whole state of everything. And he, he kind of knows that if, if this guy, because he knows the guy's got using his faith, right? And, and he, he said yes, and he's coming and it's almost like this news is going to devastate this guy. But it actually doesn't make any difference whether the girl's dead or not. Because it, that doesn't affect Jesus. It's no bigger deal for him to raise the dead as it is to heal the sick. And, and I can just kind of picture Jesus like, you know, grabbing the guy and come bringing him in and saying, don't be afraid, only believe. Because Jesus doesn't want it to be that when he gets there, he can't do it. Because the unbelief has just taken over. And um, it's just interesting, this, this kind of one thing that Jesus says is, do not be afraid. And for me, I would say the, the real biggest issue of unbelief is fear. That is the biggest, biggest aspect of unbelief. And that's why Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe, keep on, keep on, keep on. And, um, and then the story is, he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and when he came to the house the ruler of the ruler of the synagogue, he saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And he came in and said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. You see, Jesus is just remaining in rest, isn't he? He is just remaining in this place where this, this is not a problem. The girl might have, they might, she might have died or she might not have died. Whatever it is, the power of God is sufficient. And, and nothing has altered. This circumstance hasn't altered anything because he's going to go and the girl is going to be alive. And, um, and that is, I think that's Jesus remaining in rest. But the people's response to that was they ridiculed him. They said, well, you're stupid because she's already dead. And, and, and that's what we do. We're like, you know, but didn't you see the report? Didn't you see the, what the doctor said? Uh, didn't you see this? Didn't you? Don't you realize that? And Jesus is just like, you know, put his blinkers on and like, and he's trying to do his best to keep out the unbelief. So he had put them all outside and he took the father and the mother and the child and those who are with, it, with him. So basically he took them out. He's, try, he's, he's trying to get rid of, he's trying to make an unbelief free zone. So that he can just, you know, go and do what he needs to do. And then the, get the kid is raised from the dead. And everybody was overcome with great amazement. And we think that that is kind of, wow, you know, God did it. But there's an aspect of that great amazement, which is actually hardness of heart. It's actually, we never believe you do it. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be amazed by miracles. Because miracles are amazing. But it's almost like if we're so amazed that God does something, then actually signifies that we were not really thinking he was going to do it in the first place of course we thank god of course we're excited of course it's wonderful and great and we you know we are excited and, and we should be excited but sometimes that 
we're amazed because oh, we just never thought God would do it. And in a way, that's kind of hardness of heart. And it's, you know, it's, uh, it, it's kind of sometimes being amazed and overcome with amazement that God did something is not such a great thing, to be honest. So Jesus' heart, I think, is just believe, guys. Just believe, 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 believe. Stay, remain, don't go away, don't go. You know, it's like that is his heart because he knows that there's this absolutely dynamic thing that happens when we believe. And um, it, I think you missed out, Phil, okay, when I was talking before because, uh, and, it, and it's quite a good kind of example. What we mistake uh, unbelief for is lack of faith. So actually, I wouldn't agree with that being lack of faith. I, I wrote it down because that's what a lot of people would say. Faith and unbelief are two separate things. So it's not if you have a small amount of faith, then that's called unbelief. Unbelief is something entirely different to faith. So faith is here. And, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word and it's a gift and it's something that you got and you protect it. You fight for it. You fight to keep it. We fight a good fight of faith. So you, you protect this gift that you've got and, and you, you prevent anything coming against it. But things can come against it. It's not because it's little. It's not because it's not working. It's not because it's, it's not there. It's not because you didn't do enough to get more of it. Unbelief is because you haven't protected it. You haven't kept it. You haven't valued it. You haven't used it. So so you can have underused faith, but that doesn't mean to say you've not got faith. It just means it's not used. So actually, it's like a tug of war. You've got faith on one hand and unbelief on the other hand. And you can have a lot of faith, and unbelief can prevent that faith from working. It's not because you don't have faith. And the reason I'm saying that is because otherwise you get into this terrible anxiety in your Christian life about, I've got to get more faith. I've got to do something to get more faith. Uh, you know, we've got to build up our faith. And we have all these times of trying to build up people's faith. And we do all these religious things to get more faith. And well, I don't know, how do you get more faith? What do you do? You read the Bible more. So you read the Bible more. now. Faith does come from the word of God. And our faith is based on the word of God. And, and the fact for the Israelites is God had spoken. And they didn't believe what he'd said. And that is exactly the same for us. God has spoken. And what he has said is we have salvation. We have healing. We have forgiveness of sin. We have, we have um, you know, restoration of our families. We, ha- we have all of everything that he's promised us. That is God's word. He's spoken that. And that is the basis of our faith. That is what we root our faith in. What has God promised us? What is our new covenant? Our new covenant is we believe and, you know, he becomes our righteousness. That's his word. That comes from this Bible. So our, our, our um, faith is also based on the word. And definitely, definitely, reading this to persuade yourself will definitely help you to guard your faith and keep unbelief away. But it's not that if I read 10 chapters a day, somehow, you know, I'm going to like, God's going to get a, got a tick chart in heaven and bingo, you know, I'm doing well. That's not how it works. 
Do we fast to get faith? No, we've already got it. Can fasting help our unbelief? Yes, it can help our unbelief. I mean, it can get rid of our unbelief. And that is one of the valid reasons for fasting. If you are being overwhelmed by unbelief and you cannot remain in a place of rest, then that's a really great time to fast, to be honest. Because what fasting does is it says, I am taking authority over my soul life and I am causing it to come under my, you know, my control and under the, you know, under the control of the spirit of God in me and the, my spirit. So, so yes, definitely there is a, a point to fasting, but it's not to get more faith. Okay. And, um, what else do we do to get more faith? I mean, come on, we've all gone around these religious circles. Pray, fasting. Doing more. Yeah, and more. More. Just do more. Just do more. Keep on doing more. And guess what? You're never done enough. You just never, ever do enough. So that, that isn't the issue. The issue is, let's deal with unbelief. Let's not try and do anything. So, so yes, we live by faith. Yes, faith comes by the word, and it comes by persuading yourself, which is why we teach. It's why we listen to teaching, to persuade ourselves and causing ourselves to remain in, in the truth. Um, so that is unbelief. Let me just see if I've written any gems of wisdom here. So, kind of really simply talking about unbelief, if you look at the Israelites, it's like they just couldn't remember that God was good. They just, they just had no remembrance in their mind that God is good. And in a way, that's unbelief, isn't it? We just don't believe that God is good. We believe, because, because if you're sick, what are you afraid of? If you know that God is the healer and he's good and he will heal you, there's really nothing to be afraid of. Actually, most of us are afraid. I still get afraid when I get some kind of sickness. I'd love not to be afraid. I, I hate it. I get really frustrated at myself with, if I get fear. But it's, it's, it's a real thing. And it's based on a kind of deep-rooted belief that God just, just, God just isn't going to. I know he can. I know he could. I know he kind of loves me, but I've been here before and I'm not sure. I'm just not sure he's going to do it or, or I'm not, whatever it is. I don't know what your lie system is, but it, it has to do with something that causes you to be persuaded that God is not good. Somehow, somewhere, God is just not that good. And, and so a simple way of saying unbelief is, is not remembering the goodness of God. Um, it's just not trusting him. It's just not being absolutely sure. I think Jesus was absolutely, completely persuaded, convinced, without a doubt, who God was and what he would do. I don't think Jesus laid his hands on the sick and thought, oh God, if you don't do something now, we're going to be in a big mess. I, I don't think he did. I just think he just, just didn't doubt the goodness of God. And yet we, in our humanity can doubt the goodness of God. And uh, that is called unbelief. And um, so I, I'm, 
I'm gonna, we're going to have a break. I'm going to talk a little bit about a number of issues of unbelief. And then I want to play this little end bit of a, of a talk, which um, it's just really interesting because I was listening to it last night. And um, he, he said a few interesting, interesting things. And then he spoke a bit about David, a bit like Andy was talking about this morning. And just it's really nice to kind of just tie it all in. Um, so... The other, the other thing I've written here is about unbelief. It's a refusal to be persuaded about the truth of the finished work of the cross. Um, so I think that's what unbelief is. And I think that's what the guy says on this audio. I think that's where I got it from, just in case you think it's me. <laughs> it was him. So, yeah, I'll claim it. When, it, when it's, it's, yes, thank you. So not remembering... Not remembering the goodness of God. And I think this is our fight of faith. I do think we have a fight of faith. But I don't think it's blowing the shofar and stamping around and waving banners and tearing down the stronghold of, you know, Satanism over Manchester. it's, It's remaining in rest. And if you are terrified, you're not at rest. And if you are doubting, you're not at rest. And if you, you know, so it's, that's to me is what our fight of faith is, which is what Phil was talking about, isn't it? It's about stand, stand, don't, don't, um, don't be moved. Understand some more, yeah. Refusal to be persuaded of the truth. of the finished work of the cross. Now, I think that sounds a bit strong, but actually this applies to unbelievers as well, isn't it? That's what an unbeliever is. So you can have an unbeliever and you can have a believer who has unbelief, right? So for the believer who has unbelief, this sounds a bit hard, harsh because it's not that we're refusing, we're just struggling to, we're just struggling to. But basically that, that in a way is sin. That is the only sin there is. That is, is in one way a definition of sin. Because there's only really one sin and that's the sin of unbelief. And that's the, that's the one sin that people are in trouble for. Because if you don't believe in the finished work of the cross, you, you, you're really in a lot of trouble with that. So, so this kind of is quite a interesting point. So sorry, Phil. I'm going to cross this one off because I don't like it. But had you been here, you would have probably not said it. That's why these bright guys never said it. Huh? It was. But it's only because I talked about it the other, the other day. And I think they weren't here. So, um. We talked about it here. Hi, Chris. Okay. So, did you, you weren't here for this week. I know you weren't here. Okay. So, um, if you'd have been there, you would have not said that. But it's all right to say it. I just, one of my pet hates. So, um, because this is not, this is how we think of faith. Traditionally, you've got to get more and more and more and more and more. Um, but it's not. It's a gift. Thank you for listening to the I Destiny podcast. For further information, check out www 
iDestiny.org.uk.